0: I'm Avery Arden of the Rock Candy Podcast Network, and you're listening to Blessed Are the Binary Breakers, a multi-faith podcast of transgender stories. almost wasn't going to put together an episode for this month because, well, things suck right now on a national and global scale, and it's been hard for me to muster up the motivation to do much of anything. I'm sure some of y'all can relate. But last night, I turned to one of the books that brings me the most encouragement in times of trouble, Transgender Warriors by Leslie Feinberg. As always, it was fuel for my flagging spirits, and it reminded me how vital it is to know our history as it repeats itself in the present. As TERFs continue to question the womanhood of trans women and girls, as intersex persons continue to be erased from conversations, as abortion once again becomes a right denied, we can look to the wisdom of those who have been through it all before people like Leslie Feinberg. Feinberg, who lived from 1949 to 2014 and is perhaps most famous for her novel Stone Butch Blues, identified herself as an anti-racist, white, working-class, secular Jewish, transgender, lesbian, female, revolutionary communist. Both she-her pronouns and ze-here pronouns are appropriate to use when talking about here. Feinberg was the first theorist to advance a Marxist concept of transgender liberation, which forms the foundation of the Transgender Warriors book. The book of the book explores gender diversity throughout history, primarily but not exclusively in Mesopotamia, Europe, and the Americas, and culminates in a grand message for why that history matters in current fights for liberation, not only for trans persons but all oppressed groups. Transgender Warriors was first published in 1996, but the history it relates could not be more pertinent to recent events. In the excerpts from the book's final chapter, that I'll share with you shortly, Feinberg emphasizes how we can and must not only demand and win, but also defend our human rights, and how the fight is not over until systems that deny us our rights are also overthrown, and every single person is free. As you listen or read along, note that I'm not going to alter Feinberg's language to fit contemporary terms. While today most of us prefer language like assigned female at birth to born female, trans woman instead of male to female transsexual and vice versa, and so on, Feinberg's language was respectful and appropriate for the time in which Z wrote this book. So just be aware of that language difference, especially if you take information from this text into current conversations. Note also that I'll be reading an abridged version of chapter 15. If you want to read it in its entirety or read the whole book, you can find free PDFs online as well as linked in this episode's notes. Finally, I invite you to consider the similarities and differences between Feinberg's description of challenges faced in the late 90s and those of today. What victories have been won since then? What work still needs doing? How do we protect progress from being unraveled? Okay, that's enough from me. Let's hear from Transgender Warriors Chapter 14, right after a word from another podcast on the Rock Candy Network. Hi, I'm Liam Hooper. And I'm Peterson Toscano. Together, we co-host the Bible Bash podcast. Each month, we look into a different ancient story. We're curious to find insights into our own queer lives. We discuss these and share our findings with you. You can find the Bible Bash podcast pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts. New episodes come out at the end of each month. At a time when there is no real economic safety net for most working people, and our standard of living is under attack, is it any wonder that we are witnessing well-coordinated, state-by-state ballot campaigns to strip lesbians, gays, bisexuals, and trans people of any recourse against discrimination by characterizing our progressive civil rights legislation as special rights? And is it any surprise that the same well-funded movers and shakers of these family-values hate crusades are frequently in the same ranks as those who are violently attacking women's right to reproductive freedom and are trying to scapegoat immigrants? This is divide and rule. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't fight for reforms. All trans people need basic civil rights, and we need them right now. In the United States at the present time, for instance, we have very little recourse against discrimination and are struggling to even be included in the broad human rights laid out in the Constitution. As our contemporary trans movement gathers more and more oppressed sex and gender communities into its vortex, we will formulate extensive demands in the course of our struggle. We must demand the decriminalization of all forms of outlawed sex and gender expression and gear education to winning social acceptance of sex and gender variants. We have a right to something as basic as clean toilets that are not marked women or men. Transsexual women and men, and other trans people, have a right to affordable surgery and hormones. And all trans people need access to basic healthcare without fear of being turned away because of bigotry or lack of money. We need to fight discrimination against us in housing and employment, in the military, and in child custody and visitation cases. We need to fight violations of the rights of trans prisoners and trans victims of police brutality. High schools, colleges, and universities need to include trans individuals and struggles in their curricula. In addition, the very concept that our current narrow sex and gender system is eternal needs to be challenged by exploring the diversity that has existed throughout human history. We need a fresh re-examination of history, anthropology, and medical science in order to weed out any concepts that sex and gender variation are abnormal. Sex categories should be removed from all basic identification papers, from driver's licenses to passports, and since the right of each person to define their own sex is so basic, it should be eliminated from birth certificates as well. And affirmative action, first one to redress some of the historic discrimination based on race and sex, needs to be defended and expanded to include more victims of sex and gender oppression. Each person should have the right to determine and change their sex, and express their gender in any way they choose. But those rights won't just fall from the sky. People have a right to food and shelter, and to be free from the threat of sexual or racist violence too, but all of this takes a struggle. When I grew up, Jim Crow segregation ordinances were the law of the land, It took the mighty upheavals of the civil rights and the black liberation movements to remove some of the most reactionary laws and win progressive anti-discrimination and affirmative action legislation. For the first time since the Reconstruction period following the Civil War, the movement won black elected officials—mayors, governors, congressional representatives. But the crisis of capitalism still remained and conditions for African Americans in the inner cities are worse now due to years of deep and protracted economic depression. Law codifies the economic inequality built into a class-divided society. Whether a law has been cloaked as the word of a deity or as springing from the precepts of human morality, it is presented as fixed and unchangeable, but it is not. However, advances in production or changes in human consciousness don't automatically change laws. Progressive legislation reflects the gains won through militant marches, rallies, picket lines, and grassroots organizing. Action is what makes laws change. But it's like a union contract. First you fight to get it, and then you still have to fight to defend what you've won from being snatched back. For trans people, winning progressive legislation and repealing bigoted laws are important stepping stones in our larger struggle for justice, but the experience of this century has shown that the organic makeup of the profit system inevitably drives it into a cataclysm of economic and social crises that can wipe out the progressive gains of a lifetime. That's the lesson I learned from the triumph of fascism in Germany. As a Jewish child, I thought fascism gathered without warning, like storm clouds. So when I found a swastika carved into my wooden desktop at school, I feared fascism had arrived and nothing could stop the storm. It's no wonder that I spent so much time studying the real reasons why the Nazis came to power in Germany in the 1930s. The German economy was in deep decline. And a powerful workers' movement was challenging capitalist rule itself, as were many in the movements of trans people, lesbians, gay men, women, and socialists. Fascism was unleashed to crush this movement, the working class, and all allied organizations. The rise of the Nazis was funded by a segment of the industrialists and bankers, who paid for the construction of the concentration camps, railroad lines, and ovens who profited from the slave labor. Hitler promised to turn around the economy and bring about prosperity, and he delivered. War was still an effective jumpstart for a stagnant capitalist economy. War was also good for business at the time of the Stonewall Rebellion. But like any drug, sooner or later, quick fixes don't work. When the Pentagon waged war against Iraq, the economy didn't revive. So what does the ultra-right wing have to offer now? They won't deliver jobs. The leaner, meaner restructuring along with the high-tech revolution has meant more skilled workers are flipping hamburgers for minimum wage. We're faced with either relinquishing what we and earlier generations won in terms of living and working conditions and political gains, or organizing in a broad counteroffensive. Looking only at the past, it might seem unrealistic to think that we in the United States could muster a force capable of challenging the ruling class. But looking forward, from the reality of today, as the cities crumble and steel mill furnaces cool, as debts pile up and war production becomes a permanent feature of the economy, as people are faced with hunger and homelessness, as the government underfunds out of control epidemics like AIDS and breast cancer, the question that must be asked is can such a struggle really be avoided? Isn't it time for the struggle against capitalism to come out of the closet? isn't it time to shed old illusions, break with ideologies that justify exploitation and human misery, and most important of all, isn't it time to have confidence in our own abilities to give birth to a new world? From the moment I began to even ask this question, as a young activist, I was baited as communist. Well, it's true. I'm not satisfied with removing the laws that determine what clothes I can wear, not when trans youths are sleeping in abandoned cars or on sidewalks. A banker can afford to waste food served at elegant dinners while black and Latina drag queens are forced to turn tricks in order to buy French fries. What you think the solution is to this social crisis depends on, as the old union song said, which side are you on? I believe these deep social crises require thoroughgoing social solutions. As the deepening general social crisis brought on by the decline of the capitalist system is increasingly felt as an urgent issue by millions, we as trans people should feel more confident than ever to reach out to our coworkers, neighbors, friends, families, and loved ones and say, they're trying to make us fight each other to keep us from uniting, to win real change. While there is no blueprint for the struggles ahead, we can learn both from engaging a common enemy and from the crystallized experiences of the past. In the last 150 years in particular, the working class has grown to be the key force in society. It is the class responsible for producing all the basic goods and services, and it has become the majority class in most parts of the world. From the first rudimentary and spontaneous resistance of the cross-gender weavers who called themselves General Ludd's wives, to today, this class has developed rich revolutionary experience and many, many forms of political organization. As trans people, we have a history of resistance of which we should be proud. Trans warriors stood up to the slave owners, the feudal landlords, and the capitalist bosses. Today, as trans warriors, we are joining the movement for a just society in greater and greater numbers. By raising the demands of our trans movement within the larger struggle for change, we are educating people about our oppression, winning allies, and shaping the society we are trying to bring into being. None of us will be free until we have forged an economic system that meets the needs of every working person. As trans people, we will not be free until we fight for and win a society in which no class stands to benefit from fomenting hatred and prejudice, where laws restricting sex and gender and human love will be unthinkable. Look for us, transgender warriors, in the leadership of the struggle to usher in the dawn of liberation. Friends, I hope you found some hope, motivation, or food for thought in these words from Leslie Feinberg. Feel free to write in with your thoughts on here arguments about trans liberation and solidarity. I'd be really interested to hear what you think. If you liked this episode, you'll be happy to know that I plan on publishing another short episode in July that features more from transgender warriors, this time from chapter 14, where Feinberg explains in depth how and why trans women are women and need to be welcomed into women's spaces. If you've had trouble articulating either to yourself or to others how trans women are women and why it matters so much, you'll want to hear this episode or go ahead and look up chapter 14 of Transgender Warriors yourself. Like I said before, you can find it online for free um, and also linked in the show notes. Last thing before wrapping up. I want to invite you to tell me about what you've been feeling or doing lately in light of everything happening in the world, from war and climate change to increased anti-trans and anti-abortion sentiments and the repealing of hard-earned rights. Are you too exhausted to do much more than survive each day? Let us lament with you. Or are you getting out there and taking action? Let us cheer you on. Or tell us to what books, movies, communities, individuals, or higher powers you turn for nourishment in times like this. Maybe share your favorite quote or prayer, spell or piece of art, or tell us about a pride event or a protest you've participated in lately. I know I, for one, could really use some commiseration, suggestions for how to get active, or uplifting stories and wisdom. Whatever you've got. Send it in to queerlychristian36 at gmail.com by the end of July. Feel free to write it out or record it to share your name and other info or keep it anonymous. Whatever you prefer. That's all for now. Get on out there and break some binaries and be a blessing to the world with your life.